0: Hey everybody, Mark here. Thanks so much for tuning in. And before we get into our awesome episode for today, I have an invitation for you. On Monday mornings, the online prayer team and I are starting to pray together in person at 915 at the Menlo Park Central Campus. So if you're in the area and you want to join us in the room for prayer together, we'd love to have you. Just shoot me a text and let me know, 650-600-0402. So you can join us in the room, or if you just want to say, hey, nine I'll stop what I'm doing and join together as an online community and pray, we'd love to extend that opportunity for you. So, shoot me a text and let me know and enjoy today's episode. Well, Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, everybody. My name is Mark, and it's just me today and Phil. It's just us, everybody. So, if you were here to see Jess... I guess log And off. Rochelle, we are so sorry. Yep. We can skip to next week, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, it's going to be a fun episode, maybe a little bit shorter today. Um, but we are excited as we are closing out our winter series. Seasons. Series. Yes. Winter, winter was, was the week. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Closing uh, out our seasons series with winter. A whole series on winter feels heavy. That feels like a lot. Although I feel like you could do it. Unfortunately, (laughs) probably. Yeah. That's something that I really appreciated about your message this week was that it it was so personal. Mm -hmm. And there were, uh, I was hosting online on YouTube and menlo.online.church and a lot of people were like, either in that moment or texted me later or texted our team saying, they just really appreciated your vulnerability and your openness. And It reminds me of a story that I've heard from Brett Corton. He is Mm. our next-gen director.
1: Shout out. Friend of the show.
0: Yep. Friend of the show. Great dude. Um, He was in seminary at Fuller and was taking a class on sermons, and he had to write and give a sermon on Sabbath, and if you know Brett he does not sabbath well
1: i've heard him tell this story yeah
0: and so he he preps it he gives it and then his uh professor afterwards said something along the lines of i can tell that you've never experienced this no
1: it was even better than was it she She was it she goes (laughs)
0: hey uh
1: you know, good work. Can you do me a favor? Uh, tell me when the last time you Sabbathed was. That's what it was. And he goes, well, some version of like, ah, honestly, it's been a while. And
0: she goes, she just said, <laughs> I could tell. And like, oh, <laughs> oh gosh, man. that is...
1: Shots fired. Yes. Shots fired. But,
0: you know. Well, we could not tell in this last, the, last yeah. message. And... So thank you for your vulnerability, first off, and and you talked about some very heavy things. And if that brought up anything for you that are listening or watching along with us, um, you mentioned a number in the beginning of the message in which you can call. You can also text our team as well at 650-600-0402. That comes to us here, and we'd love to walk with you and walk alongside you. And if you're looking for counseling
1: resources, some kind of next step stuff, and it's not emergent... Uh, emailing care at menlo.church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can provide some of those things mm-hmm. locally. And then, you know, I'm always gonna try to make the disclaimer that, um, you know, if you are unsafe, if you are mm-hmm. in danger, 911 is the answer. Like they're yes. they're built to help immediately. And Definitely. so um, we wanna be able to do as much proactive, preemptive work as we can. Life mm-hmm. is hard and comes with ups and downs. Uh, but
0: if you're in an emergency um yeah, please, 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 please reach out. Yes. And was it intentional that we closed out this series with winter? Obviously, we've, we've looked at the different uh, seasons before. I would love to end on a spring or a happy note or something mm-hmm. like that, but we, it felt like it, it was intentionally closing on this. Can you walk us through that thought process? Yeah, I think, unfortunately,
1: for lots of us, we are kind of predisposed to basically moving on as quickly as we possibly can from feelings we don't like. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so, I had a hunch that if, Mm -hmm. because you had to follow the seasons, right? So, it felt like we were either going to go fall, winter, spring, summer, or it was going to be uh, spring, summer, fall, winter. So I went with the second option because I felt like, first of all, starting a series in winter, that felt like it would yes. have been much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think hopefully the thing that can kind of linger is, hey, I remember when we talked about spring and summer and some really cool parts about connecting with God in those seasons. Mm-hmm. But hopefully what we've also done over the course of the series is not elevated one season or another, that all of these seasons of our life are interdependent that they all need one another. I talked Mm -hmm. about it again this week that the way we experience the season we're in or the season that we're headed to most effectively is by experiencing the present season fully and preparing for the next. And I think Mm -hmm. when we go, well, I just need to get through winter. Well, there are lessons that you need, right? And there are things even just practically in the normal season of winter, if you don't do Uh, uh, spring is going to be a mess. Same thing in our own connection with God. And so understanding kind of the pruning work and even some of the things in us that need to die uh, so that new life has room in our connection to God Mm -hmm. and with people. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there was no like right answer, but that's why we did it the way we did it. So that the thing that would linger was the weight that rather than forgetting about fall and winter, they'd
0: stick with you. I think that's very memorable. Well, we'll find out. (laughs) We'll find out. Yeah. So, can you walk us through your message a little bit for those that might have missed it? Yeah. So, we were in Psalm 102,
1: which is like just a cool psalm. It was a fun way to end with because oftentimes when we think about the Book of Psalms, we think about David because a whole lot of them are attributed to David, Uh, and you know, David has a, a really unique personal story from you know a young man with really profound uh, personal capacity Mm -hmm. and then uh, gets anointed king before he's appointed king. And then he's running from Saul, who's trying to kill him, and he's not taking the chance to do that. And then he has Mm -hmm. tremendous personal accomplishments uh, as a king, certainly not without some uh, marks on the record, so to speak. And then, uh, you know, Psalm 53 reflects on just this awful atrocity uh, when David, I mean, we can call it other things, but David raped Bathsheba, a woman who had no ability to say no to him. Mm. And then uh, the child dies. And really, he loses the respect of his grown children and never gets it back. And then there's this uprising. And so, so much of Psalms is really David's prayer book through that life. Uh, which is powerful, I mean, so powerful to read through and can give us vocabulary. But in Psalm 102, we're kind of in this next generation of authors where we're reading things that are uh, more than likely written by someone other than David, but they've learned from David's kind of pattern of prayer. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a book in the Old Testament often attributed as the oldest piece of literature that we have, which is the book of Job. Um, And, that Job is uh, a person that basically Satan went to God. Uh, some people don't think this is literal. I do, uh, but it's in the Bible. Um, and Satan says, hey, sh- show me somebody that could withstand me. Mm-hmm. And uh, God's like, hey, if you looked at Job, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, he's awesome because you're awesome to him. And God's like, okay, do yeah. whatever. And so through this like slowly opening of doors to letting Satan bring pain into Job's life, Job continues to stay connected to God. Eventually you see these interactions between Job and God, which are, I mean, some of the most powerful you're going to find in the Mm -hmm. whole Bible. And some of that language gets borrowed. So David, all that life, Job, his life, Psalm 102, sort of a reflection, um, a mashup as the kids five years ago would have said (laughs) uh, of both of those. And so we talked about um, sort of the filter with which um, we experience winter, uh, which, you know, the author of Psalm 102 is writing. And one of the beautiful things I love about Psalms is we watch, we watch sometimes the emotional arc within one psalm. And mm-hmm. so we saw that even mm-hmm. in this one, right? Mm-hmm. And so I talked about like the key principle this week was fear will freeze you bitter or thaw you better, right? Yep. That um, fear is not. Uh, it, it, it doesn't have to only do one thing in our life, and and I think we got to see that map out over the course of the talk and uh, over the course of the passage around this idea that desperation clarifies dependence. When we're desperate, we really do depend on what we should... like well, Whether we should be depending on it or not, we, we depend on what we most depend on in those moments, right? So if that's a person, if that's a work project, if that's an unhealthy coping mechanism like an addiction, uh, if that's just you have some habit you go to that is maybe not even morally evil, but you're like, I can play video games for 45 minutes or when I'm not doing well, I can play video games for 45 days. Like that that would probably be one of those things. Like you're depending on that too much. People in your life probably at times, if you depend on them too heavily, you know, sometimes we use the language codependent, that we become dependent on one another's mental well-being in an unhealthy way. Talked about awareness changes our appetite, that really what we hunger for is based on how we see our current situation. And so we can work backwards from what are you desiring most in your life to, man, what is it? Um, what is it that I'm most aware of in my spiritual season? And then that humiliation creates humility, whether it's humiliation that we brought on ourselves through our actions, whether it's uh, humiliation circumstantially, maybe it's humiliation through something absolutely horrible like abuse. And I certainly can relate to that. Um, But there is humility that gets cultivated in us, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But understanding all those things kind of God uses uh, in the midst of, um, in the midst of our spiritual winter. And, and I think winter may be more than any other season. We talked about how, uh, we want to believe in those moments we get stuck, we get trapped into the cycle and we go, this is going to be forever permanent. We say, uh, this is, you know, everything I touch is dying pervasive and it's all me, I'm the problem, personal. And so permanent, pervasive and personal, those are actually lies, they're not true. Mm -hmm. Um, And understanding that kind of we train our minds that as those lies start to come up, we can say, okay, Jesus, like I'm I'm believing some lies about this season with you right now and I need you to give me freedom, I need you to tell me the truth. And sometimes that's getting other people in our lives to tell us the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know that's not true, you know it's not gonna be like that. But so 30,000
0: foot, that's kind of where we were this week it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. And I I really resonate with the not wanting to stay in this winter season or wanting to skip ahead or right. just look at the good parts of David's life and kind of skip over the <laughs> stuff that I don't like or see <laughs> yeah. the- David you know, probably wanted to do that. I'm um, he did too. too. Yeah, maybe Job as well. <laughs> right, and right, so, right. <laughs> um, for those that are, are that want to wrestle more with texts like that, What encouragement can you give them? How can we read those challenging texts well? Yeah, so if you don't have, uh, as you're studying passages like Psalm 102, this is new
1: language for you. And, And candidly, I think what you just described is pretty common, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. even in church, we don't right? kind of like, eh. we're going to do a series uh, starting in just a couple weeks for summer called The, the Rest of the Story. And we're going to talk about kind of the way we a lot of us learn stories as kids, which we learn them the way that kids can learn things. Mm-hmm. But then as we grow up, we learn like, wait a second, Noah's Ark was not just about this cute wooden boat with animals on it. There was a global flood that wiped everybody out or not, or maybe, or... uh, Mm -hmm. And so uh, I I think, um, yeah, there's a lot to it. I I do think that uh, there's better resources now than have ever been made available. So if you're super into it... um, and you're you're wanting to look more comprehensively there's a piece of software that i use almost exclusively called lagos l o g o s Logos Bible software, and you can kind of buy different levels of it, and then add resources. But in it, I can type in a specific passage, and it will show me that passage in a bunch of translations, a bunch of commentaries, a bunch of textual work, um, and so it's it's helpful. If you're not really ready to necessarily jump onto that train, which I totally get, even just a single good commentary, mm-hmm. uh, and one that's very readable is a commentary series called the NIV Application Commentary. Mm. Uh, very very easy to uh, pick up and read. You don't need to have any biblical language experience. Uh, and then there's a couple books that um, are probably just helpful. They're challenging, right? One's called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God by D.A. Carson. And it's, it, you're like, that sounds heavy. It is. It uh, <laughs> doesn't sound like a light Friday night. Room. Right, right. But I just think that there is, um, I think there is this moment we have where, um, We sort of think like, well, God has to be like, and at the end of that sentence, we have shaped God into our image (laughs) rather than the other Mm -hmm. way around. And uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, uh, and I had a a very good experience, relatively so, in that church, but um, we really did not get a lot of spiritual formation. Uh, And so, when I went to uh, undergrad and was exposed to ideas like Reformed theology and Calvinism, it was the first time I'd ever heard that. And it was really hard. Mm-hmm. And there were times where I just kind of had to wrestle with God, like, God, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like what this means. Um, and mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that everybody has to hold to that stuff, but I think we have to examine that stuff. And so sometimes those can be resources to help us do that. And I think it gives us portals into the seasons of winter in our spiritual lives. Yes. And we've talked about deeply formed life, I think, a couple mm-hmm. times on the podcast so far during this series, Rich Velotis. Mm-hmm. If you're wondering, how do I navigate hard stuff
0: in my life, that's a great book. Great book. Another great book that you mentioned that wasn't written by a Christian author was uh, The Body Keeps Score. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if the author is Christian, but the the book's not. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a few people text in about that book saying that's a fantastic resource and a great way to insert spiritual conversation into people that might not hold to a spiritual for sure, that. yeah, yeah, absolutely,
1: and, and I mean the principles of the book are all throughout Scripture, in my mm-hmm. opinion, um, and so which is like I never know when I'm reading a book that's more psychological, you know, I ne- I never know because I'm reading things and I'm like oh, I see the pages of Scripture all over this, but I you know mm-hmm. is that just circumstantial, but uh, yeah, I think that you know we have these things. Uh, I, I mentioned the example of uh, dishes collecting next to the sink. Yeah, uh, as like an anxiety producing thing in our home, uh, that's a body keeps the score kind of moment, right? Because when all that was happening, I hadn't done work to even know why that was the case. I just knew, right? My body had been trained mm. uh, that even if I wasn't gonna deal with the trauma that was connected to it, uh, in, as a way of avoiding that pain, I just made sure the dishes were done. Well, my dad's dead. Like he's not, he's not coming to do something if the dishes are piled up, mm. but that's still in me. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, if I don't work to figure out where that comes from and do the work so that it has less control of me, it will start working its way out in all kinds of different and unhealthy ways. And so, you know, there's probably things for a lot of people, I think some of those triggers can be like, um, if someone that, you know, uh, gives you like just a casual touch, like a touch on the arm or, you know, and, and for you, that's very off putting and you kind of feel the hair on the back of your head standing up. Um, It might be nothing, but it might be something like there Mm -hmm. might be something that uh, that which is a pretty innocuous thing, if just all of a sudden, no one can touch you. Uh, And that actually is kind of a thing for me, that's all rooted in past pain for me. So Mm -hmm. uh, I've worked really hard on it. So it doesn't affect me the same way. But Mm -hmm. I think being able to understand, okay, what, you know, some for some people, it's smells, it's places, but I think especially my mom near the end of her life, she was pretty honest about some of the pain and trauma she had experienced even as a child. Um, I remember calling her after I did a bunch of therapy with my, from stuff from my dad and I just apologized and I said, mom, I think I've been pretty hard on you in my own head and heart through this process because you didn't leave or whatever. And uh, I said, you know, I, I think what I've sort of failed to realize is that I was, you know, I, I was there for 18 years and you were there with him for 50 something, you know? And, uh, and her response was powerful. Kind of, she just almost like a little girl. She just said, uh, what you don't realize is I just married my own father. Like she had a type, you know, and Mm. that was what she was sort of trained into. And she she never really got super deep into it, but it was pretty clear that she had experienced trauma as a kid through some of that same stuff. So, um, you know, for her, she felt like, well, I don't want to get care. I don't want to get therapy because I'm too old for it. And, you know, it's fine. I got it going. Like, we're good. I, nobody can tell. And the hard part was, like, everybody can tell, you know? And I think as more people get, like, do get aware of the need to do this work, you become, it's like a, a kind of a superpower. You, like, start to see people and you're like, oh, that's, yeah, that's masking behavior. Like, I wonder what's going on with that person. And you're not, like, I'm not shaming people. I'm just hopefully going to get an opportunity to find out what's under the hood and mm-hmm. point people to care because, It's way easier to live life without those burdens and without that baggage than living it with it. But for very, very few people, um, unfortunately, even with as much mental health as we've taken steps towards, do we actually see that Mm working
0: What do those people out there that might not have firsthand experience with trauma or on on a scale of very traumatic to not maybe lean towards that side what should they know about trauma what do they not know that you wish that people knew
1: yeah so uh you, you clarify which i appreciate everybody's got ex- everybody has experience with trauma mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. i i use the language this weekend uh capital t trauma small t trauma yep um big t is kind of some of the stuff i've talked about from my childhood small t could be like uh and i've got some of that but it's all sort of clouded um but small t trauma could be like uh my parents never came to a sports game right sure. and so yeah nobody ever hit me uh, mm-hmm. but trauma has been described as either uh something i deserved that i didn't get or something i got that i didn't deserve right mm-hmm. and so i i think it's part of it is just like understanding the stuff that you have in your own life um because i think then we can express genuine empathy to other people even if what they've gone through is different it, it, there's not this illusion of like, yeah, but I'm pretty much perfect, which is, I think sometimes like, how was your childhood? Incredible. It was the best. Like, uh, I mean, it might've been awesome, but there's stuff all of us have to explore because we're broken people in a mm-hmm. broken world with other broken people that love us deeply and are doing their best. But, uh, I, I think it doesn't, it doesn't disqualify. It doesn't, it's not disloyal to your parents. Um, you can, you can be honest about the pain you carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, uh, yeah, just just understanding. Um, I, I talked. I use this line in the talk. I said, uh, "Present passions are windows to wounds." Yeah, that was interesting. Um, and and I would say that's true for all of us. Um, so like the thing you're most passionate about is connected to a past wound. It like it's it's not even up for debate. And so uh, I think for folks, if they're like, I'm not sure where to even start looking, look at the thing you're most passionate about. Mm. And so. Uh, You know, for me, I'm really passionate, really passionate about um, uh, caring for my kids well. I'm really passionate about having a safe home life where violence is not used. I'm really passionate uh, about being able to be a part of a church community where not only do we make sure that kids and students and people are safe, Mm -hmm. but that actions and abuse, even past abuse, even abuse from decades ago, is not minimized, that we're honest and open about it. Um, and I'm passionate about those things because I think they're important, but I'm also passionate and I think they're important because I experienced what happens when they're not. And so uh, I, I think that's true for everybody. You know, like I, I'm i really passionate about physical activity. I really enjoy that. And part of that for me is uh, my dad was like morbidly obese his whole life. And mm-hmm. so uh, most people don't know that. They've never seen pictures of him, but um, you know, I'm sure plenty of people would look at me and be like, well, Phil's not the most fit guy ever, but the picture in my head's so different, you know? And for me, physical activity on so many levels is therapeutic and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think if somebody's kind of wondering, how do I do this work or how do I even yeah. kind of see it in others? Yeah. I, I look for, for where you and others are most passionate. Interesting,
0: interesting. It, wow, there's a lot in there. Mm-hmm. And most of this stuff, hopefully
1: this is obvious. Most of this stuff I didn't make up. Most of this stuff exists in the world of Mm -hmm. therapy and counseling. And I've got a a great counselor in my life. His name is Jay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, Body Keeps the Score. That was a recommendation from him. Present passions are windows to wounds. That's his line. Um, Three Ps, he exposed me to those. Present, pervasive, and permanent. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just want to... (laughs) Yeah. I I didn't instantly become a biblical counselor this
0: weekend. (laughs) so if we can start with maybe acknowledging things you said there's some you just kind of mentioned in passing just examples of what could be triggers or seen as trauma something as simple as dishes something like avoidance or maybe um ordering too much shopping off amazon stuff like Mm -hmm. that how can someone take self-inventory and how if if someone if we can all get on the same page and say okay yes our baseline is everyone has experienced trauma, whether that's big T or small T. How can we examine our lives now to say, okay, let's acknowledge the places that we might be showing signs of this, and then we can get deeper from there. Yeah, I mean, I think that the three places that are probably
1: easiest for us to find excess in our moment, Mm -hmm. one would be our spending, right? So if you, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are like, just even too scared to look at their spending. We go like, I don't make enough money. And they're like, "Uh, maybe, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think look at spending. And see, are there things that are disproportionate, right? And are there times when they're disproportionate? Like, hey, for whatever reason, late at night, I always eat a bunch of really terrible food that I order on DoorDash there's a clue, right? Like that's probably something. Is there loneliness? Is there uh, some compensation that's taking place? Is there something that you're putting in a bunch of energy to not think about or to sort of power up throughout the day that as you get tired at night, that resistance level goes away? I think the second one of those is calendar. Like are there things on your calendar that are disproportionate? For some people that might be just performance, right? It might just be oh, you're working 60, 70, 80 hours every week and your calendar shows that, that is probably a warning light, right? What is it in your personal life that you're trying to avoid? What relationships are you scared of? What are the things that are maybe putting you on your heels that uh, this sort of overperformance level feels like a safer option? Um, And then I think a third one that has never really existed like this before, uh, if you don't have the screen time feature turned on on your phone, turn it on. And then just look, um, maybe just call on a weekly basis to say, uh, where am I spending my time on my phone? And uh, if you go, hey, I'm, I'm spending whatever, eight hours a day on your phone, and I'm not applying judgment. Like, what is the answer you want? You know, if, mm-hmm. if you want to spend eight hours on your phone, go nuts. But look at where you're spending that time. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, well, I spent six and a half hours on TikTok. You know, I spent yep. uh, five hours on Instagram. And, and I think it's, the, it's really just the internal examination to say, what is it that I'm finding in that that's soothing me? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a line um, that every, every, cho- every choice to sin is the choice to satisfy a righteous desire in an unrighteous way and i think when we see these patterns in our life mm-hmm. the work isn't to shame ourselves the work isn't to say well i better stop doing that the work is to say what is it that 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 who i am needs like what is the god given desire inside of me and what is a more honoring way to god and to me mm-hmm. to satisfy that desire than this pattern that I'm choosing right over here. And it's not going to be linear. It's not going to be like, yeah. I figured it out. Now it's all done. It's going to be finding communities. That's why things like AA exist. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be finding groups of people that can um, you can be honest and clear and direct with. Um, it may be through initially a counselor that may feel safest to you, but
0: um, continuing to hide and hope it's going to get better on its own. You're going to discover it won't. And what about the question of, that's just what my life is. My That's just how it's been. Um, I've never known anything different. That's just who I am. I, I'm a person that does this. How can we encourage if someone is looking under the hood and saying, ooh, maybe now I'm, I'm acknowledging there might be some warning signs there. What's a great first step? or a couple steps to take some action to say, you know, my life has been this way, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, totally.
1: I mean, I I know this is going to feel a little self-serving, but I, I would say like actually show up to church. Um, hmm. Like I think that there's uh, the, the sort of like touch therapy of shaking somebody else's hand of being in the same physical space as other human beings mm-hmm. um, of like having that small talk conversation that I think we've all convinced ourselves is unnecessary, but it's, Sociologically, very necessary. Actually, I think those that that could be a great first step. But I would just say, take a step right. Like, mm-hmm. if God's kind of waking up in you, you know, the Bible uses the word conviction spiritually. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we would talk about regeneration that God is bringing in awareness. Um, you know, sort of like fan that into flame. If that's church, great. If that's continuing to listen to the podcast for a little bit till you kind of eat your seed legs under you, fantastic. If that's going and talking to a counselor. Very in favor of that. If that's spiritual director. Awesome. M- my encouragement would be don't do 20 things that you're going to fail at all 20 of in two days. Do one thing. Do Just, just make one choice. And know uh, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, Jesus says the thief comes to uh, kill, steal, and destroy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And uh, I would say that that abundant life that Jesus was talking about whether you call yourself a Christian or not, if for a long time you've gone, well, this is just who I am. You know, this is this is always gonna be my hangup. This is gonna always be my addiction. This is gonna always be the way I see that person. Um, yeah, I guess my prayer is that that God could break that, that, that sort mm-hmm. of personal, pervasive, permanent lie um, because they're not true. And the mm-hmm. season of winter spiritually for you is not supposed to be the season forever. Um, but for a lot of us, we never get out of it Because we don't think it's possible to get out of it. Mm. And springtime's always there. Always there. But if you don't do the work now, spring will be a lot messier. Yeah. yeah. We know it. We've watched people do it. We've watched people where they come out of a, a difficult season. You know, I always think about it pragmatically of the people that like win the lottery. You know, like they're just in the... Absolute pits financially often, off and then they get a lottery ticket and they win. And how, like, the statistics of what happens to those people forget yes. bankruptcy, uh, whose lives end mm-hmm. because they were not creating healthy rhythms. Like, you don't just need uh, the sun to shine, you need the infrastructure so that when the sun is shining, you can grow spiritually. And okay. a lot of us don't spend the time to do that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, any closing thoughts on on winter, on this series that we have been in for the last couple of weeks?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think,
0: again, I hope people hear
1: um, over and over and over again that seasons are temporary. Mm -hmm. Um, Seasons are temporary and uh, we are going to head into, we can all sort of feel it again. We're going to go into this, the, the cultural reminder of what happens um, when we face fear as a culture, we run to politics. That's what we do. Um, And we're already, you know, watching candidates make their announcements on Twitter and, um, you know, other people saying lots of different things about lots of different stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, we all watched what happened when we became so um, tribally entrenched from the last five, 10 years, especially. Um, and I would just say, uh, that's an unhealthy coping mechanism too. You know, we should have political convictions, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, they should be informed by your pursuit of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I just think like, if you're breaking friendships because of how people are voting, uh, if you, I just, man, I think that we, we get ourselves really sideways because of how fearful we are. Mm. And so, uh, I use that Oswald Chambers quote at the end of the talk that if you fear God, you'll fear nothing else. And if you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. And so I would, yeah, I would just encourage folks as you walk through the season that you're in and we face uh, probably seasons of winter ahead, personally and collectively, uh, let's not let fear run us Mm -hmm. because it is a bad operating system.
0: Yeah. I want you to go a little bit deeper on what it means to fear God. I've heard that language used before. Some people might have one understanding of it. Some people might have another. What can what can fearing God look like in a healthy manner?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that we want to. We're people of extremes. Nuance is heart. and yes. so um, you know, the extremes of it are. I'm just really scared of God. He's right. big and intimidating, and uh, I, I don't, think you use the a uh, giant with a magnifying right, glass just, on ants. Yeah, yeah, yep. yep, yep. uh, that's not God. Uh, And then I think we also, sometimes we want to excuse it away and we go, well, that doesn't really mean fear. You know, that's not what that word means. It just means respect. And like, Hmm. it means that also, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, Mm -hmm. the the word means fear. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say there's a weight to understanding uh, that even though there is grace because of Jesus' love for us, death on our behalf, resurrection, um, there is mercy that we would not get what we all deserve. There is judgment. And so um, there's judgment for those who don't know Jesus. There's a version of judgment for those of us who do. And understanding God, I want to be in right relationship with you and your power and your supremacy. Yeah, like it's a little scary. Like I'm, I'm, I understand the magnitude of who you are. And uh, I, I think. Um, the more we read scripture, the more we think about and understand the God as, as he is revealed in scripture, I think there's a natural sort of holy reverence is probably the, like, if I just had to define the fear of God from Proverbs 1, 7 and two words, holy reverence, mm. um, there's a holy reverence that I think is a natural byproduct. But I, I just think that like we find, this is a whole other podcast topic, but I think we find ourselves just shrinking God down more and more and more. And and now God can't be supernatural. And uh, now like, what's interesting is in the early church, Jesus, the, um, the first most prominent false teaching around Jesus was that he wasn't really human. Uh, and now- uh, it's exactly the opposite. Now it's like he was a great teacher, but he wasn't really God, you know? And it's all this sort of hyper-scientific, anti-supernatural. Um, but when we understand, I, I don't remember, I saw somebody talking about this recently, but when we understand that the supernatural reality is the plane in which the natural reality exists. And so then when we go like, well, I don't know if something supernatural can happen inside of this. God's like, what? What? <laughs> Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And, and because I think for us, we just feel so big, and God's somewhere else, and He would help if He could. That's. That's that thing we've talked about before. That's moralistic therapeutic deism where God is like the clockmaker and he has a pattern of behavior. And if you follow that pattern of behavior, he'll give you the golf clap from heaven and you'll feel better about yourself. That is not the formation of followers of Jesus in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we can understand God's magnitude, there will be a holy reverence. There will be a desire to say, God, I wanna be in right relationship with you. And I know the consequences of what will happen with those who do not. Not because you're mean, but because you're holy. And um, I I know that that's countercultural, but uh, if I'm gonna be a person of the book, I do what it says, not what I think. The Mm -hmm. Tim Keller quote, um, if you worship a God who never disagrees with you, you may wake up and realize you don't worship the God of the Bible. You worship an idealized version of yourself. And I think a lot of people, even that call ourselves Christians, we worship idealized versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. God is submitting to our intellect, to our desire, Mm -hmm. to our will rather than the other
0: way around. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Sorry, I didn't, I mean, that's Tim Keller. Yeah. Rest in peace, Tim. Yes. No, but there, there's a lot in there that is, like you said, countercultural, but also the foundation in which you can approach your understanding of God. Well, and I would just say like so much better. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like I don't want a God that mm-hmm. is is condensed down into My cognitive capacity, not really. I would be a terrible God. Awful, (sighs) awful. We all would. (laughs) The the smartest people I know in my life would be awful gods, right? And so, um, yeah, I I think that there is um, just something so important about understanding. uh, I think what the fear of God demands is that I surrender my will to his. I don't ask him to surrender his will to mine and there are probably mm-hmm. more days than I want to admit. And every time, by the way, that we choose to sin, we say, God, I'm I'm asking you and reality to bend to my will. Mm-hmm. And um, that's always a choice to suffer, always, for us, mm-hmm. for someone else, in our relationship with God. We all do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's devastating. It's destructive. Um, but I think th- the beauty is that God welcomes us back, yeah. loves us, and mm-hmm. uh, provides a path back.
0: That's so good. I think we'll, we'll end on that. and But before we do, uh, we have a really exciting weekend coming up. We do. We have our campus teaching weekend, mm-hmm. which is going to be awesome. And Phil, it's my understanding that you have the weekend off from teaching. That's correct. Yeah. So I'll, right. be, I'll be hanging out
1: in San Mateo this weekend. Oh, great. Uh, and yeah, the, I, I'm going to try and find a way to just like do something, just serve on a volunteer team there. Cool. Um, but uh, it'll be great. And... We will have uh, one, two, three, three of our campus pastors Mm -hmm. and then a campus staff member um, teaching on all of our campuses. Mm -hmm. We worked on sort of the skeleton, the bones of the talk together maybe a month ago. And then uh, they've been working today. I'll have, I've already listened to one. Uh, they'll, they're going to send me, uh, talk throughs of all their, of all their talks for the weekend with their script and then I'll give them some edits. Awesome. Uh, so that's been fun, man. They're going to do a great job. And then before you're wondering, actually, even if you don't go to those campuses, one of the things we're going to do differently this time is we will release all of those talks on the Menlo podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you can go listen to Mark Swarner if you don't go to Menlo Park, or you can go to listen to... Josh Robertson if you don't go to Saratoga and just hear a little bit of some folks at other places if that's helpful for you and the messages will have the same text the same core principle the same outline. Yes. So. I'm so looking forward to that. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah. Well, Phil, thanks so much. Of course. Thank thanks for for you. Here. Prayers up for for mm-hmm. Jess getting better mm-hmm. and um, yeah, thanks for hanging out with just us. Bye everybody. See ya.